everybody called Uncle Bob. Now, Uncle Bob was not my actual uncle, but Uncle Bob was everybody's uncle. And Uncle Bob went about 6'4", 250, gray, curly sideburns, wore an old weathered Stetson. By the time I knew him, he had already retired from multiple careers, including being a decorated warrior in World War II, a ranch hand in Montana, a logger in the Philippines, and probably the most dangerous of all the works that he did, he was a junior high coach and counselor uh, for boys especially growing up. By the time I got to know Uncle Bob, he was the head wrangler on the summer camp that I went on and later worked on, and the summer camp that I went on when I was a kid was unbelievable. Like literally 30 boys on a bus, an old outfitted school bus, would camp and fish our way from Austin, Texas, all the way to Alaska and back. I mean, it was incredible. Everywhere we went, we camped out under the stars. And, and over the years as a counselor and, a, and as a camper, I felt like I really got to know Uncle Bob. I felt like he was really, like we were really friends with that. He used to love to hear the stories he would tell uh, of, of all of his experiences, but a particular interest to me were the war stories that he would tell. It, see, he fought in the Pacific during World War II. And those of you who are old enough in here to know some of the stories from there, he was in the prison camp that was recently made famous by the, the movie Unbreakable. So he was in that camp. He also escaped from that camp, one of the few people to do that, and led the Filipino resistance movement during that time. And, uh, and he, I would get him to tell those stories, and, and he would tell the stories. And, and like I said, I felt like I got to know Uncle Bob. And I, I never saw him cross. I never saw him angry until one day. Until one day I did something, and I was to- it totally shocked me. But Uncle Bob lived there in Austin, and I would see him not only during the summer, but I'd, I'd try to spend as much time with, with him as I could throughout the year and one day I, I, I drove up in my new vehicle that I was so excited to show him, my four-wheel drive, that I just, man, you know, Uncle Bob, I wanted him to see it. I, I, was, I was happy about it. But it was a Toyota Land Cruiser. And you see, Uncle Bob, he had endless patience for adolescent boys. Bad weather didn't mean a thing to him. You could talk about anything and everything, and it wouldn't phase the guy except one thing, and that was who he fought in the Pacific. And so I pulled up in my new Toyota, and I saw that gruff face, which was always so welcoming, turn stern, and I saw the twinkle in his eye, which was always there for for everybody, dim. And he proceeded to dress me down on why it was totally inappropriate that I was driving that vehicle. And I was, I was shocked. I was, I was taken aback. And as I drove off and as I've reflected on this later, later in my life, I realized that, you know, we both knew the story. I had read all the books. I was, I, was, I was, as a kid, especially as a teenager, I was like fascinated by World War II and especially, especially the Pacific Theater and everything that had gone on. Man, I knew the stories. I knew where he had been. I, I knew about the De- Bataan Death March. I knew about all these things. Bridge Over the River Kwai was my favorite movie as a kid, right? 
But for me, they were just stories. For him, it was different. He, he lived that. He, he literally carried the scars from the battle on his face, on his body, and deep within his soul. And so we saw, we understood the stories. It's the same story, same event, but from two radically different perspectives. Now you'll hear a You'll hear, hear people say this time of year, it's a pretty popular thing to say, let's put Christ back in Christmas, right? Let's put Christ back in Christmas. Well, today, we're going to examine that. We're going to look at what it, what it really means to understand this Christ who has come, this Jesus who has come as the Messiah. And we're going to try to get a little different perspective. So we're going to talk about some familiar things, some familiar stories, but we're going to try to get a different perspective on that. So pray with me as we begin to look in our text. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have come to bring peace, to reconcile, to redeem everything, to bring your shalom to this world. But God, we know we can we can see it and not understand it. We can understand it from one point of view, but we need your point of view. And we also need the point of view of the poor, the brokenhearted, and the prisoner to truly understand what it means to receive your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at our text today. It's a bit of a long text. It's a familiar text in parts for some of us, but this week as the teaching team met, and, and uh, I actually Skyped into the teaching team from Mexico while I was teaching down there, um, I, saw some, I saw some links, some connections that I don't know that I've seen before, so we're going to talk about that as we go. But let's read through the text together to start. Isaiah 61 verse 1 starts this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year of the Lord will show his favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance, to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal his splendor. They will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities, the palaces that have been desolate since, since ancient times. Foreigners will take care of your sheep. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards. You will be called the Lord's priests, servants of our God. You will enjoy the wealth of nations and boast about the riches you receive from them. Instead of shame, you will get a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will rejoice over the land they receive. Yes, they will possess a double portion in their land and experience joy. For I, the Lord, love justice and hate robbery and sin. I will repay them because of my faithfulness. I will make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. 
All who see them will rejoice that the Lord has blessed them. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God, for he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. I look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would. I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry, for just as the ground produces its crops and a garden yields its produce, so the sovereign Lord will cause deliverance to grow and give his people reason to praise him in the sight of all the nations. Now again, we're looking at this perspective that some of that terminology may seem a little, a little dated, a little foreign, but the promise of peace coming, the promise of deliverance coming, the promise of mourning coming is based in this idea of God's justice with that. And how we see that depends on our perspective. So there's this cartoon, I like this, right? Like you can see, in, both are looking for salvation. <laughs> Neither is necessarily finding it. But their perspective makes their circumstances look very different. Now I'm going to need a little help here. Miss Teresa, if you could help me bring down the peace box. We're going to see what's in there. So I'm going to need a couple people to help in here. Uh, you guys want to help? You're up here close. You want to help? Okay. So let's see what we have in our Advent box today. All right. I think I'm going to need four people. Esther, yeah, y'all come on up. All right. So you hold that. All right. You hold that. Hold that right there. All right. You want to hold that right there. Now, turn around so everybody can see what you got. So, what is this? What do you see? What do you see with that? I don't know. You don't know, right? It's kind of it's kind of weird looking, right? What do you think it is? Anybody? Um, a ball. Okay, it is a ball, but do you know what kind of ball it is? Um, hay. It looks like hay. Actually, this is a soccer ball. Does it look like a soccer ball to you? No, no it doesn't. But in Rwanda, where my wife Jane went, this is what the kids play soccer with. So to us, it looks like rolled up banana leaves, which is what it is, part of it. But to the kids in Rwanda, this is a soccer ball. Okay, so let's go over here. So what do you, what's that? What do you think that is? I know it's kind of difficult. That one's a tough one. What do you think it could be? Anybody got a guess? A chess piece? Hey, it kind of does look like a pawn. A jar? It could be. Anybody else? Take a guess? Yes. Tim knows it's an insulator. So it used to be back when phones had wires, I know that's a crazy thought, that they would run telephone wire and they would have to have this and the wire went around that and it kept it away so it wouldn't make contact with other metal when it went by. Okay, 
So what do you have, Esther? Okay, it's a ball, but what kind of ball? Let's hold it up. So does anybody know what kind of ball this is? It is a cricket ball. Exactly. So while it looks like just some other kind of ball, this is what you play cricket with. I got it in India on a trip. And then last, what do we have here? It's a cross, right. Here's the thing. It's also decoration. This is made as a decoration. And so what we're going to talk about today as we end is, what does the cross mean to us with this Jesus coming? Is it a sign of salvation? Or is it just a decoration? So, great job, y'all. Here we go. We'll take that. You can go sit down. Awesome. Way to go. Our perspective on this text that we just read determines how we receive it. To those of us who live in comfort, to those of us who, who live without the threat of imminent starvation, without the threat of being barrel-bombed or made refugees, we can so easily spiritualize this text. We can so easily make it just about some kind of therapeutic understanding of our emotional state. And listen, it is that. It's not, I'm not denying that, that those of us, all, look, all of us mourn. All of us have no bro, known brokenheartedness, regardless of our situation. Few of us have known real poverty. Some of us have. But few, as a, few of us have known real crushing systemic generational poverty. Even fewer probably have spent more than a little time on the wrong side of the bars. But we can't let our own perspective of not having those things color what is happening here. This is not just a spiritual event that, that, that is being promised. It's a very real event. And we see that as we come to Jesus later on. So, let's look at Luke 4. Because Isaiah 61, remember, this is made hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And yet, look at what happens. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture 
is fulfilled in your hearing. We look at the life of Jesus. We look at the way that he understood himself. We look at his program. We look at this Christ who we celebrate at Christmas to see what he was about. He saw himself, Jesus understood himself as formed by the words of Isaiah, as foretold by the words of of Isaiah. He also, and this is interesting for all you Bible scholars, we we talk here at, at Grace a lot about how we view Scripture, and how we do that is with a Christological hermeneutic, which means we read all Scripture through the eyes of Jesus. We understand the the Old Testament is given form and meaning and direction as we examine it through the life and message and person of Jesus Christ. All future events have their trajectory based out of what we understand about Jesus. And Jesus himself does something here which is interesting, which is he misquotes Scripture. He doesn't get it exactly right. He's quoting Isaiah. It's very clear he's voting quoting Isaiah 61, only it's not verbatim. He actually changes it. And he goes from comfort, which is kind of a, it says in, in Isaiah 61, comfort the poor, which is, which is kind of an emotional thing, to he changes it to preach the good news. The gospel. He gospels the poor. He gospels the brokenhearted. He gospels the prisoner. He delivers to them the good news. He understands that he is both the messenger and the meaning of the gospel in that. And that this has far-reaching implications beyond just some kind of emotional state. But this is meant to change the world. The hope of the people who heard the message of Isaiah was not that when they died they'd go to heaven. That wasn't what they were looking for. They they weren't looking for some kind of spiritualized state. They were looking for actual deliverance. They had been carried off into captivity. Their city was in ruins. Their temple was in shambles. Their children did not have enough to eat, and their strong men were carried off as slaves. The prophecy that was foretold to them was of a very tangible good news, a tangible deliverance. Jesus fulfills that. He comes to fulfill that for our broken and enslaved and hurting word. The other thing is this, and and this is utterly fascinating. Not only does he change the verbiage, but he cuts it short. He stops before it gets to vengeance. He stops before it proclaims God's retribution. Now, Bible scholars have argued over this for years as to why the exact meaning of that. I believe it's because of this, because he knew he was going to take that vengeance. He was going to absorb it into his person. That he had come to take the punishment upon himself with that. He goes on, and listen, this message of Isaiah colors all of his words. Go read Luke 6. 
Go read about where Jesus, what we call the, the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Go look and you'll, after you read Isaiah 61, you'll see, oh my gosh, that's just Isaiah 61 brought out. That's just, that's just Jesus interpreting through his life and ministry Isaiah 61 with that. So the question before us is, how do we get the perspective that allows for Christ to be the center of our Christmas celebration? How do we find the peace that Jesus offers and we celebrate this Sunday? I'm going to ask the Garen family to come up and light the candles, adding to that the peace candle today. And, and I love that, even the word peace, as I, was, as I was reading some authors, one of them said, peace, it sounds like a whispered kiss, just the word peace with that. Of course, in Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. Jane did the board up there, that's what that says, is shalom. Shalom sounds like a cool breeze on a hot day. And we understand this coming, this, this coming of Christ as one that brings peace, but that peace is achieved by spreading justice out. How do we make room for this? How do we understand this Christ as the promised Messiah, the rescuer of the poor, the prisoner, the brokenhearted? Well, I would suggest to you we do it through prayer, proximity, and purpose. We have to put ourselves in prayer. We have to submit ourselves to the Word, to the study. We have to put ourselves in association with the poor and the prisoner. We can't just see them as projects to be done. We can't just see them as objects of charity. But we have to put ourselves with them to suffer with. Listen, y'all. Why are we here? Why are we here as Grace Church? Why do we gather together? Why do we spend our time and our money to come here on Sunday after Sunday? Is it just to feel good about ourselves? Is it just so that we can be reminded to be good people? Is it just to sing some songs? Or is it to understand that, that we are called together, we are called out of this world for a purpose? Does that involve our spiritual salvation? Absolutely. Without a doubt, that is essential, but it is not all. It is not all. We are call, called to be witnesses, ambassadors for the kingdom, for this Messiah who came, for this Jesus who brings good news to the poor, to the prisoner, to the brokenhearted. We are gathered. We talk about it at the table all the time. We are gathered here together, regathered, remembered, so that we can be exhaled, sent out into this world. As testimony, living martyrs, witnesses to this kingdom.
If we don't remember that at this time, especially at this time of year, we will be overwhelmed with the things that destroy our peace. And so we do our little things. We fill that tree with hats and gloves for kids. We go to the compassion experience in Rogers so that we'll understand more the plight of the poor. We form committees to welcome refugees and provide for them and give them a chance at a new life in this country. We give our money and we teach our kids and we do these things. We do these little things as witness to the big thing that God is doing. We do these little things that we can do, trusting that God will do the big things that we can't do. Trusting that God is already doing those things. That He is alive and active and working in the world. So we do our little things. And in all of that also, though, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves and understand that unless we become poor, unless in a way we become like the prisoner, the broken hearted, there is no room for Christ in our Christmas. Oscar Romero said this, he said, no one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others, those who have no need even of God, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. Let me add this, without poverty of spirit, brokenheartedness, and captivity to the gospel, there is no room for Christ in Christmas. Our perspective determines a lot of the meaning of everything, but in particular, it determines the meaning of this. Is the cross just a decoration for us? A sticker we put on the back of our SUV? Piece of jewelry we hang around our neck? Home decor? Or does it become the source of our salvation? Does it become the understanding, the center of our understanding about all reality? Because the Christ who is coming this Advent, the Christ who came and the Christ who will come again embraces this, picks it up, embraces it, submits to it, and ultimately by it overcomes. That is how we, in turn, put Christ back in Christmas. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. as we continue to reflect, to pray, to worship by coming to the table. This table represents what is prophesied in Isaiah 61. This table is the place where 
The poor find good news. The prisoners are set free. The brokenhearted are comforted. This table is open to all that are seeking that comfort, that freedom from Jesus Christ to come. We don't dismiss by rows. People come up as we worship. This Christ who came has done what he said he was going to do. The promise has been fulfilled. It is being fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. And we participate in the fulfillment of that promise starting at this table. So thank you for being here this morning.